Hi everyone, welcome to season one of the Art House podcast by Artesian. We're going to be talking to really smart people about their big ideas to change the world. AI will be the primary force that dissolves international boundaries and borders. Our dream is to create a process that is so efficient that anybody in the planet without any PhD can run. We're on a mission to make solar PV low-cost, fast and easy. Quite often we fell into the trap of innovation departments wanting to engage with us because they wanted to trial AI. I'm Ali Quinnies-Ross on lead guitar. And I'm Tim Heasley on backing vocals. Let's get started. Today we are lucky enough to have Luciano Bueno. Did I say that right, Luciano? Yeah, that's it's Luciano, but you, you got it right. Luciano is the founder and CEO of Galley, a company that is manufacturing high-quality cotton in the lab. Artesian is a proud investor in Galley, and we met Galley through our China VC fund. And I was lucky enough to meet Luciano in 2019 at Brink Accelerator's offices in Hong Kong. And you were part of that program, I think. In was that the spring program, Luciano? Yeah, it was. Great. And we're talking to Luciano from Amherst, Massachusetts, where it's probably been raining a lot overnight. So I hope you're dry and safe. So welcome. Wonderful to have you here. We're going to go through your journey, your business, what you're trying to achieve and talk with you as long as you'd like to uh, talk. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for for inviting me uh, and I'm glad to be here. That's great. Look, before we get into the detail of your business and the enormous opportunity that exists for you, I wanted to set the scene with a few fascinating facts about cotton. And cotton is the material, the sector that that, uh, Galley is seeking to change, disrupt, make much more efficient. So the first cotton fabric remnants, my research tells me, date back to about 6,000 BC and then were found in Peru. So it's clearly a material that has been used by humans for a long time. It's the most widespread profitable non-food crop in the world. Its production provides income for more than 250 million people worldwide and it employs almost 7% of all labor in developing countries. Approximately half of all textiles are made of cotton. Not all is good, though. The current cotton production methods are environmentally unsustainable. And and, and for this, I give thanks to the World Wildlife Fund site, which had some interesting stats on there. So these are the current problems as articulated by that website. The production and processing of cotton uses a lot of water. In fact, cotton is the largest user of water among all agricultural commodities on the planet. Surface and groundwaters are often diverted to irrigate cotton fields, leading to freshwater loss through evaporation and inefficient water management. And this is a particular problem here in Australia, which is the driest continent on the planet. We don't count Antarctica. Soil degradation is another problem that flows from the production of a monoculture such as cotton. Over and over again, the soil gets horribly degraded. Pesticides, fertilizers contaminate waterways and and groundwater. And there have also been uh, persistent allegations of sort of modern slavery involved in the production of cotton in certain parts of the world as well. As I mentioned, we're no stranger to these problems in Australia. Well, I'd like to think we're a stranger to modern slavery, but we're no stranger to the other problems where the cotton industry 
takes an enormous amount of water from Australia's main fertile waterway, the Murray-Darling Basin, and the ecosystem that is built around that suffers accordingly. So the production of cotton presents, therefore, one of the most environmentally critical industries on the planet and one that is ripe for disruption. And galloping across the horizon is our saviour, Galley. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. I guess, you know, with all of those issues, it's obviously a massive problem that you're trying to solve. So where did you grow up? How did you come across this problem and why are you trying to solve it? Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. So just to give a quick background on myself and how I got introduced into this industry that that I fall in love year after year. I think everything started when I was a kid. I always tell this story that I had to start selling t-shirts door to door to pay my bills in high school, just because that was the only way that I could go through high school. <laughs> so I, I went to sewing courses and so on. I Actually, I didn't want to tell this on the sewing courses, but anyway, so I started selling t-shirts door to door. Then I went to a more formal career. So I went to work for Deloitte. I did audit and consulting there for many, many years for different clients from Calvin Klein, Zara, and also Bungi. So I could understand a little bit on the operation side of things, how this industry works. And I think I, I like it since the beginning, but I was still discovering this path. So after Deloitte, I went to work for a venture capital firm. I've done a bunch of merge and acquisitions deals, raised investment for a unicorn in Brazil, which went to IPO. And... Uh, after all this crazy thing, I quit and I went to start my first company in the textiles industry. So I went to visit China, Haiti, many, many different places. And I could see behind the scenes how everything is made. And at that time, I think that got stuck in my heart and in my brain. Because you, you never think about how things are made until you go there and see with your own eyes. And I could see good habits and good practices and very bad practices. And, you know, I, I think I got stuck in my heart in, in, in the following years. And in, in my previous company, I had a glorious failure. <laughs> so I think I learned all in the hard way. But then fast forward, even with my failures, I got some interesting recognitions. So I got the Forbes 30 under 30. Somehow Forbes thought I was special. I got the green card for the extraordinary ability. So I, I convinced U.S. that I had some extraordinary ability and I moved to U.S. in 2018. And that's when I got introduced into the synthetic biology world. And I thought that could be a very interesting tool to solve the challenges of textiles, which was something that I knew since I was a kid. So I started digging in and I, I, I saw that nobody was looking for cotton specifically. Cotton is using everything. Right. So dollar bills, mattresses, T-shirts, everything. It's massive. And and it, unfortunately, as Tim mentioned, all the facts are, you know, are true and some are controversial. So I think I wanted to do something about it. So that's how everything kind of started. I've been in this industry forever and hopefully I'll, I'll make a, a very important transformation there. I think you already are. It's uh, it's fascinating. It really is. I think our audience would love to hear a little bit about how you do what you do. So could you describe the business and, and what, you're, what you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. I'm on the business side. So <laughs> I think things are possible, but I'm not the, the brain behind it. So 
I was able to convince my co-founder, Paula, to drop her postdoc. She was 15 years in university studying how plants work. So I convinced her to drop her postdoc to join me in the company. So it was me and her, no cash at all, very ugly labs. And that's how everything started. So I'm very, very glad that I have her on my side. So in a, in a very quick nutshell, what we do can be thought in a very simplistic way. So the plants have the ability to uh, have a specific totipotent cell. So what we do is we cut a piece of the plant. That piece is called plant tissue. After you cut that piece, you put into a specific media composition, which is basically given you know, the right combination of food for the cells to grow healthy and happy. So similar way that uh, we try to find the best NBA players from the genetics and giving the best food is the same that we do with our cells. So we put those cells, we multiply them into specific vessels, which the fancy names are bioreactors. But for me, it's just a vessel that you can control the temperature. And then you go to another vessel and you start to differentiate the cell. So the beauty of this is that plant cells have the ability to differentiate into any part of the plant. So in theory, you can reproduce the whole plant from a single cell. So why do we need to grow the whole plant? Or main goal is just to get the tiny cotton ball at the top. So what we thought is, can we leapfrog by growing from a single cell into the cotton fiber? So that's what that's what we are doing. That's fascinating. It really is. And I think I'm right in saying that cotton is almost 100% cellulose. Correct, but it's not 100%. Because if it was 100%, you can go with bacteria fermentation and produce the cellulose you needed. But you never have the cotton that me and you are probably wearing right now because cotton is just a unique material. It's 95% of cellulose, 5% of other stuff. Right. So it's a very complex chemical structure embedded in a way that it's probably impossible to reproduce anything else outside if it's not from the plant. So you have to have a plant to do it, but we're working with the plant cell instead of the plant. Uh, and so once you've you've isolated the appropriate cells and you've got them reproducing, what are these cells sitting in? How do you feed them and nurture them? What's the medium that they live in that makes them happy and doing what you want? Sure. So what happens in nature, you know, plants do photosynthesis to convert the carbon source, which is the sugar that they need to convert into energy. So for us, what we are doing is instead of letting the cells to do the photosynthesis, we give the sugar as the main source. So you're giving, you're feeding sugar to your cells and, and another combination of different specific media compositions, but the main, the main composition is sugar. So you're giving the sugar to your cells so they can grow healthy and happier it's not as easy as I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. but that's it, 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 yeah, yeah, in an easy way to understand. Right. So you started as a founder from a young age selling your T-shirts and then, you know, you had your, your first business, which, um, well, you said it was a spectacular fail, but I think a lot of investors like second-time founders because you've learned all the lessons already that you need. I always find it fascinating with, you know, commercial founders who really are sort of driving a problem that they want to solve. But obviously, you know, you don't have the skill sets that you needed from Paula. Tell us a little bit about that background. Like, how did you come up with the concept and how did you meet her and sort of make sure that you had a great founding team? Sure. I go very straight by the logic 
So, you know, in my head, it, it was very simple. If we're trying to produce meat in a lab, which is a very complex structure with very complex cells, why we can't produce cotton? That was the, the whole concept. <laughs> so then I called Paula, who I knew for, for a while, since I think 2017. We met in a party. I, I, I like to be around smart people and, and, and learn with them. So I call her and I say, hey, you know, this is, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think it's feasible? And she thought that was a horrible idea. And then, <laughs> you know, I said, oh, my God, like she is the expert. If she thinks this is a horrible idea, it may be a horrible idea. But then we started to talk more about it. And I think she got excited and, and she kind of gave the path in how this could potentially be done. So we found some literature from the early days and we started to base our research on that. And I'm always following every decision that I made by the logic. So I think to not know you know, instead of being a PhD founder, CEO, I'm very business driven. So for me to not know the entire technology, it's a huge advantage because I don't see any limits. So, you know, if I was a, I don't know, a PhD, I would say, oh, we have to grow in this fancy bioreactor that costs 200K for 500 ml. But for me, it's just a simple vessel that you can control a temperature that probably costs 100 bucks. So I think this not... Not knowing enough has been a great advantage and has forced us to grow a little bit quickly than uh, what I've seen in other companies. Thank you. It's, it's great. Are you able to tell us a little about where you're up to? So where are you up to in the production of, say, quality cotton that we'd all be wearing today? Is that somewhere down the track or is that something that's happening in small scale at the moment? Yeah. We are trying to go in our industry that had optimization for <laughs> a thousand years plus. So we are two years old, but I think if we exponentially develop our technology, we will get there. Right now, we are doing things at lab bench scale. So can we reproduce the quality that you can find in the field and, and go from there and then go into larger reactors, pilot plants and all those steps that you can scale a process up? But I would say that now we're producing a few grams, probably a kilogram of the product with a lot of sweat and science. But after you find the right recipe and the cells, for me, it's very straightforward. It's just a matter of increasing the size and going from there. But I would say that, you know, when we start, we were 1%. I, I would say that we are 10, 15% for what I see the potential of this company. Okay. And in terms of cost of production, I imagine at the moment it, it's very high, but it, at some point, do you imagine that you can produce cotton much more cheaply than can traditional agriculture? So our vision as a company is to shift traditional agriculture to cellular agriculture. The only way you can do that is to include the farmers in the equation and to convince them to shift from those huge amounts of land into maybe a small facility with simple reactors. So our dream is to create a process that is so efficient and so cheap that anybody in the planet without any PhD can run it. So the same way, you know, we can brew our beers at home, which you just receive a bag of yeast, a cup of nutrients, you put in the water, let it grow. I have the same vision in how we will, we will do that. So answer your question team i think it's totally feasible to go on the high quality market first i'm no doubt which is a 40 billion dollars market 
on the low quality or, or the general cotton market, which is 146 billion worldwide, I think it's also feasible because at the end of the day, we're using water, cells, and sugar. So if you're following the first principles, this is definitely feasible. Uh, but again, a lot of sweat and, and science to make it happen. That's right. And and the question I have to ask, is the technology, once you've mastered cotton, is this something that you can apply to other plant-based crops? There's a worldwide shortage of quality hops, for example, for beer production. Is this potentially something you could look at as well? Yeah, we are, in Brazil, we have a specific dish that is rice, beans, french fries, and meat. So I would say that, you know, the French fries and meat always come after. So we're doing the rice and beans, which is let's grow cotton, see how it goes. If that works well, we can add the French fries and beef, which will be, can we do with other plants or other crops, even food products? So following the logic, definitely. uh, And then you become a platform company, but we are on the rice bean steps now. Right. Look, and I appreciate it's not plant-based, but would you ever try and tackle wool? I think on the wool, the easiest way, uh, not the easiest, it's very hard, but the, <laughs> the, the right way would be to find the cells that you would find to grow the wool, right? So kind of cheap cells. So you can try to manipulate the cotton in a molecular level that you can provide any special performance attributes. So, you know, polyester just beats cotton on the sportswear because it dries faster. Nobody can create a cotton that dries faster than polyester today. If we're able to manipulate on the molecular level the cotton to dries faster, nobody will be using polyester anymore. Yes. So I think there are other ways that we can think about the same problem without going directly, oh, let me try to replicate wool. Can we use cotton as a base for all the textiles and just tweak a little bit on the molecular level to have the performance attributes you want. I, I think this is this is visible. Right. So cotton is the medium term future of galley, it, it sounds. Correct. Would that be right? Correct. Yeah, good. Obviously, you're focused on when we look at the sort of supply chain, the generation side. But as we know, there's a huge issue with textile waste and you know, how can we recycle textile waste? The fast fashion industry has created a massive problem. I think in Australia, each Australian consumes on average 27 kilograms of new clothing per year and disposes 23 kilograms of clothing to landfill each year. Yeah. So I guess, have you thought about looking more broadly on the supply chain? Would that be an issue you might want to tackle in future? Or are there great companies that you're partnering with? I mean, we've got a company in our portfolio called Blocktex that's looking to recycle their textile waste. So there are companies tackling this issue. But I guess from your sustainability angle, what's your thought on sort of that part of the industry? Yes, I think there are a lot of people looking into that side of the industry. On our side, we're looking, let's say, on the upstream and they're looking on the downstream. So I think there are other companies doing a better job than what we would be doing there right now. But you mentioned about the fast fashion and I was talking with Tim another day about this. You know, when when H&M was was founded, the whole vision for the company was to make affordable clothing for everyone. So it's a beautiful vision, but now they're the bad guys. So it's always this, you know, cycle of for every company in every sector that you start with a great vision and then you're the bad person later on. 
So I think there's a lot of effort with great companies trying to approach the recycling side. I think there are two main challenges on the recycling. So one is to segregate cotton for anything else. So polyester and et cetera. Whenever you mix them, the things up, you're done. You just can't recycle in a good way. The second thing is when you recycle cotton, the quality is too low. You can't enhance the quality very well. So if we're able to solve those two challenges, I think we'll be in a very good way. But again, I think we are more focused on the part that matters to myself and that I had opportunity to see from my eyes that I could make a difference. And I think that great companies approaching on the other side. And have you thought about on that point, you know, when you're talking about the modification of cotton to make it dry quicker, have you thought about how you could modify cotton to make it easier Mm -hmm. to recycle? (laughs) Yes. So we have a few ideas that unfortunately I can't share right now, but We have at the top of our heads something that could be very interesting that we would close our process. But I think this would be for the next chapter. I'm happy to share later. We'll invite you back on the podcast if you'll come. And uh, we might hear about that on season two. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Nothing an investor likes to hear better than we have got some new developments (laughs) coming, but we can't tell you about them at the moment. That's fantastic. Broad vision, obviously, you're working in the lab, you know, you're working on the unit economics, you're working on, you know, ways to modify the cotton. But the process that you've got, it's 10 times quicker than growing cotton on huge farms. It can be grown anywhere. It's not dependent on soil. It's not dependent on weather conditions. I guess it's similar in a way to what we see in vertical farming. So, you know, you can have it on site. You talked about farmers and you know having farmers as one of your customer bases what other customer bases are you seeing because i see there's probably a lot of opportunity in you know limiting the logistics and the supply chain having things grown where the garments are being created what do you see as your sort of core customer bases and and why yeah let's dream for a moment if we're able to succeed in what we're doing here we will be shifting who are the leaders in the cotton production today. Places like Japan, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, places that you don't have the ability to grow any cotton at all can become leaders in a couple of years. So I think we'll be shifting a little bit how things typically work in agriculture. And if we're able to succeed, that's just very, very, very magical. On our side, we're growing 10 times faster because you don't have to wait 180 days to grow the whole plant, which is the the season field for the cotton. So for us, we will grow every month. If you're considering 10 months a year, you're growing 10 times faster uh, using, you know, 1% of the amount of land needed to, to grow the same thing. So our current customers are the brands. So brands that will like to use our cotton to create products. So we are a B2B company selling to uh, companies which can be in the fashion business, medical applications. As I said, cotton is using so many different things. So we'll be providing our cotton to them and they would create the products uh, we love. On the farmer's side, what I see as a future is that we can give them a specific process or a facility and say, hey, can you run this? Gali will buy the cotton from you in a very fair price. And we will supply everything that you needed, but we will take care of the the things that you don't have to take care of. 
So that's the biggest vision for very, very, very long term. And that's how we think we're going to include them as part of the equation. But our main customers are the uh, B2B clients. And I guess starting up a, a biomaterial company is not always easy. Tim mentioned at the beginning, you went through Brink. You've obviously got to target the right types of investors that are looking for these opportunities. Can you tell us a little bit about like starting up the businesses and the challenges that you faced um, in the beginning? I guess on this podcast so far, we've targeted a lot of our sort of sustainable companies that aren't necessarily building you know, a B2B SaaS solution, they're actually creating products. So we've talked a lot about how hard it is to sort of start a hardware company, but I think a, a biomaterials company is even more challenging. Yeah, tell us a little bit about those early days and and what were the challenges that you had to overcome to get to where you are now? Yeah, I would say rough start. So before we went there and developed the technology, I created a fake business card and I went to talk to every director of fashion companies say hey this is you know this is my name I have this company that is potentially going to change the world on cotton would you like to hear more <laughs> about it and I had no idea in terms of the technology how we're going to do it but let's let's see if there is a market demand so that's how we started and we saw there is a huge opportunity and the brands were really looking for something different so that's when it clicked in my mind that this could truly be a business then you go to the investor side. So the first question that I receive is, okay, how are you going to be cheaper, better, and more efficient? I had no idea, right? We had a rough idea and, oh, okay, this is how the business may become something. And so I had to learn very quickly because I was pitching to PhDs from Stanford and MIT in plant science and biotechnology. And I am the business guy trying to say, hey, you know, this is how we're going to produce cotton. So I had to learn very, very quickly to, to see how I could speak the same language. So I've done a few courses by myself. I went through uh, MIT, UC, San Diego, and so on. And I learned everything that I could so I can have enough data to support how I think this could be more efficient, cheaper, and better. After we got this kind of figure out, things start to get a little bit better because you know the market size is there. The opportunity is gigantic. Uh, the TA, if the TA makes sense, uh, this can be a very, very big company. So the risk is definitely on the technology, but that's very common for every biotech company. So I would say that it was very hard. We had lots of challenges. I'm just telling the good stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is my mission in, in this life. So I just have to do it. There is no other way. It's fantastic. Uh, I think you said on the call to me yesterday that you'd die for this business. Correct. <laughs> oh, that's good. passion. <laughs> that's passion. With the fake business card, the fake business, I love that. What was the name? What was the business name on that card? So actually we start, we start with GAL. So GAL stands for Growing Artificially in the Lab, which was a very good marketing tool. And then we put a Y because Gaul was too boring. Nobody really understood Gaul. So it's growing artificially in the lab, Yoohoo. And then that's how the name, you know, <laughs> stayed. And we stay with the name. Four letters, very easy. <laughs> so that's how you got the name figured out. It's the branding. It's the culture of the business. Yoohoo <laughs> at the end. I love that. <laughs> yeah. 
you, you have one of the quirkiest websites I've seen. I'd encourage anyone to go and have a look at your website. It's fantastic. Can you uh, tell us a little about a bit about that? There's children all over it. Yeah, I think the the website was inspired in, in ourselves. So every time that you know the children are born, they they want to be the probably the best professionals ever. So astronauts, all the cool things. And then you get into a boring career that you can't get out for many years. So what we want to do is, can we bring back that dream of a child and turn that into a reality? So that was the inspiration behind our, our website and our campaign. So we tried to find, you know, models, uh, young models that would represent me and Paula just to tell you as a story, uh, if it were children. And when you're, ch- when you're a child, everything is possible, right? There's no one say, oh, no, you can't do that. No, well, of course I can. So I, I think that was the, the inspiration behind the, the, this website. That's lovely. It's very different. Uh, it's wonderful. I've just been looking at the website. I love that. And I love at the bottom how it says, we are actually real. Here's our faces. <laughs> we want you to meet us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love the hustle in making the the fake business card, going out and getting that market research. And I think as well, from our perspective and seeing a lot of companies like this, I agree, there is always the technical risk, but sort of having that, knowing that the founder has thought through all the ways that you can scale it, all the ways that you can bring down the cost, all the ways that they can get it to, to the customers, the distribution channels. So it sounds like you originally got that feedback a little early and then went back through and sort of worked out what that business would look like in the future. What would be your sort of advice to founders trying to start up in this business? As I think there are a lot of commercial people out there particularly who have really great ideas, but they don't have the scientific skills as well. So what would be your your advice to them? Yeah, I think it's a lot of basing in our values as a company. So you know, we have a few sayings inside our company that we say in pretty much um, uh, every meeting that it doesn't matter. You, you know, ordinary people can choose to be extraordinary. So I, I am an ordinary guy that somehow convinced you as that is extraordinary. And, you know, I kept doing things that people think are extraordinary, but I just think it's part of who I am and, and hustling, as you said. So whenever you want to start something... <laughs> Your family, your friends, everybody will say, oh, this is a bad idea. You know, I was almost going back to career again in consulting. I, I was applying actually to McKinsey when I got my first check for, for Galley. So I think that people can give you great advice. If you go to a doctor and ask if it's good to be a doctor, of course, they will say that it's great to be a doctor. So I think the, the best advice here is to talk to a lot of different people, get different perspectives, uh, create your own opinion. And at the end of the day, if you think it's worth the risk, go for it. Uh, life is just once. So it, you, you should enjoy the most the most of it. If you're not enjoying it at the end of the day, you're just accumulating things that you're not going anywhere. So I would just say we started. Uh, and if you fail, great. It's a great uh, failure that you can put in your CV. And, you know, you talk to VCs and say, hey, you know, I failed multiple times. I know what all the, the bad things that I shouldn't be doing for this company. So um, it, it's just a matter of perspective. If you have uh, optimism and, and, and are willing to fail, yeah, uh, go for it. Yeah, and you're right. Nobody looks at a failure on a CV and says, 
oh, you failed once, like you're going to fail again. In fact, everybody sees it as a positive. So if there are any founders or, or aspiring founders out there who are scared of failure, don't worry. Luciana's right. It's just an addition on your CV, something to talk about, um, and it gives you more street cred. And I guess on on that failure, so, you know, you had that first business that did fail. I mean, what were the key learnings that you had out of that? You know, what, why did it fail and what did you bring into Galley from that failure? Oh, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing is never start a technical company without the technical expertise. So when you are a CEO, you're thinking you know everything. Sales, marketing, technical, that's not true. You need you need partners. And I'm very, very happy to have Paul on my on my side. This is one. Second is be aware of exclusivity deals. Uh, this killed my previous business. So, you know, whenever we are talking to brands, they say, oh, yeah, we're going to have exclusivity. I'm not doing this in, in my entire career because this would definitely cure business. You know, it's their interest, but they're not looking what is the potential of our company. So I will be very careful with this. And then the third is raise money, much more money than what you truly need, because things go so much in sideways that if you're not you know, two times the amount you're expecting, you're out of business. I can tell from my own experience on, on this company, on Gali, is our, our labs got on fire in, in Brazil. So we, we lost everything. So if we didn't have enough money, we could not just keep the journey going. So three things, uh, if you're going for a technical expertise or whatever expertise, you need to have someone to help you on board. Second, get away of exclusivity deals, no matter what. Third, raise a lot of cash because things can go wrong and you need to be prepared for the storm. Good advice. Good advice. Uh, so leading on from what you just said, where are you in your capital raising cycle? What's next? Yeah, we are in a seed stage moving towards the Series A, uh, which will give us enough capital to prove things a little bit further on the scale up. So we're at this moment right now. Okay, that's great. That's great. We we previously talked a little about Australia, which is obviously where Ali and I are based. Cotton's very important to Australia, and Australia's a dry place. In terms of Galley working with partners and working with industry, and I think you quite sensibly, you know, um, observe that you're going to need to work with the traditional cotton producers rather than against them if you're going to be successful, and I agree with that. Are there introductions and are there people here in Australia that would be uh, good for you to meet, and is that something that's on your short-term horizon? Yeah, so we are looking for where we can install our facilities or what are the countries that would be investing into something like that. So... There are two strategies here. One, you go into countries that have no cotton production at all, and this would be a great advantage for them. And the second is to go into countries that are big producers, but are trying to find other ways of producing the same thing. So for us, you know, introductions to probably government, I think are very, very interesting. Anything related to debt structures uh, that could help us, you know, finance the, the facilities, green bonds. Things like that, because if you raise everything on equity, it would be very expensive for us entrepreneurs and for our investors. So we have to find an alternative project financing for each of those facilities. So I would say those two categories would probably be key if we want to do something in Australia. And 
again, I'm going with the people that give us the opportunity and the people that are really serious about it. So if we see that, you know, Australia would have a commitment in making it for, for real, I'll be very, very open to talk. Mm. Yeah, well, look, I'm sure there are some conversations we can help you with here along those lines. So that, okay. that's a separate discussion. On that, I just thought, are you aware of anyone else trying to tackle this problem in the way that you are tackling it? Or are you on your own in growing cotton in a bioreactor? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of different companies in the material space. So some are approaching leather, some are approaching cellulosic-made fibers. So I think there are a lot of companies doing that, which is great. If any of us succeed in doing, we are changing the world. By producing cotton directly from cells in a bioreactor, I'm not aware of. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we're the first movers and we're doing everything that we can in terms of IP and etc. to make sure we keep <laughs> being the first movers. But yeah, not, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, good. Thank you. Just wanted to ask you, you went through the Brink Accelerator program in 2019. Are you able to talk about your experiences in that program? Of course. First, I loved Hong Kong. It was a very interesting experience. Second, I, I loved the team around there. I, I still keep in touch with you know all of them, Natalie, Stefania, and they've been very, very helpful. And, and the third is, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. So I was living in the U.S. at the time and I had to spend, I think, one or two months in Hong Kong. So getting out of your comfort zone, meeting people from the other side of the world, understanding how they think, I think it's very valuable. So, you know, unfortunately with COVID, we don't have the ability to travel that often. But I think this is so valuable and can give you so many different perspectives that you will incorporate into your business. So I'm, I'm just very, very grateful. It was a great experience. Yeah, good. Oh, that's good to hear. I mean, I was going to say probably last question, unless you have any more, Tim, anything else that you wanted to, but I guess what, what's next for Galley? What are we going to see over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months in that sort of short-term period? So I, I told Tim that I prefer to do first than talk about it because everybody says they're going to change the world and, and tell the great stories, la, la, la. It's just I, that I prefer... you are, though. It's just Correct. that you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I like to do it first. Of course, we want to scale this process up and start you know delivering to our clients. But I, I prefer to do it and then tell you what we've done instead of saying, oh, yeah, we're going to yeah. scale up this for X, Y, Z. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I prefer this approach. No, oh, that's great. For that's sure, really for sure. I like that approach too. I think um, don't talk about it and then over-deliver. Correct. It's always, it's always <laughs> the best way. <laughs> Look, I don't have any more questions other than perhaps just to throw out a general, who do you need what do you need to get you through? Obviously, we've talked about, you know, you're going to raise some money. Uh, you could do with some government support and perhaps, you know, access to some debt facilities. What else do you need? And is there anything that we can provide? Uh, you know, as we talked about potential introduction to partners here, but what else does Galley need to get to the next level? Yeah, I think we need the crazy ones. So scientists, technologists, technical people that really, really want to do something for our planet and have the technical background to help us. So I think this is the team. It's 
probably the most important thing that we need to uh, approach as we're growing as a company. Because if you have the investment and you know all the contacts, you're in a great way. But if you don't have the team to support that, yeah, you, you you're never going to do it by yourself. So if I could have a call to action here to, you know, if you are it's fantastic. a person that is just looking to change the world and, and you think Gali could be a fit for you in terms of values and just come and talk to me, join us and let's do this together. If there's any scientists out there who want to join the you, you who is it you who? <laughs> That's correct. Gali, Gali, I'll, I'll do a little marketing here. Gali.com slash careers. We have a bunch of positions. There you open. Go. Yeah. If you're, if, if you're a plant biologist with a borderline delusional look in your eye, apply to get. <laughs> right. They're called visionaries. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Okay. Thank you so much, Luciano, for making your time here today. This is, uh, has been fascinating. There's a lot of people that are going to want to hear this podcast and what you've got to say. You're doing a wonderful thing. We're very happy to be along for the ride. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Luciano.